0: Hello, and welcome to Insights Track, the place where advertisers and marketers can get a data-driven snapshot of what's going on in their world. This week, we'll be talking about Trolls World Tour, and what its release by Universal as a premium streaming movie means for the future of cinema, and especially for entertainment advertisers. But first, programmatic omnichannel, that ideal state where all the data you gather in one channel can inform all of your activity in all of your other channels. It's a place our industry always seems to be heading, but never quite reaching. That's why earlier this year we partnered with DigiDay to ask brands and media agencies how close they were to the ideal state of programmatic omnichannel, and what, if anything, was stopping them from reaching it. To talk about the findings of that report published today, I'm joined by James Chandler, the CMO of the IAB UK. First of all, James, I guess at a high level, do you agree with the premise of that question? Um, do you agree with that definition of programmatic omnichannel? And is it the point that marketers are aiming for?
1: Hey, I Will. Uh, yes, I think so. I think anything that is going to make the media bit of what they do easier, better, more efficient, more more effective, I think is only a good thing. So whilst whilst they might not come to um uh, programmatic only channel in their own words without a prompt that's that's ultimately going to be uh, an answer to lots of the things that they're trying to do i, I think the whole promise of things being automated, the idea that you can borrow and share insights from one channel or another—I mean, is kind of holy grail stuff—and um, uh, often talked about that if you could, you know, bottle something from some learning you've had in an audio, apply it to display or what you're doing in, in digital at home—I mean, it just kind of kind of feels like a no-brain that that sort of thing is going to be useful. I think moving on a little bit when you get to an an idea of maybe a single buying point or a single point of trading as well, there's huge efficiencies in in, in what you do that. And I I can remember in in my agency days trying to do things, thinking about mobile as that sort of connector between different channels in a very noddy way, doing things like, you know, trying to plot out a connected commute and things like that. And it was incredibly hard because you just didn't have anything that sort of stitched these things together. And now here we are, uh six seven years on and um and perhaps there's a perhaps there's a sort of solution here um
0: you touched on channels in your answer there and our report compares attitudes to programmatic across the uk us and canada um, one notable feature is that investment in newer programmatic channels things like digital out of home connected tv audio and so on is far less in the uk compared to the us do you have any ideas why that might be the case
1: I, I don't know whether it's just that the States is a bigger beast and, 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 and therefore, you know, sort of de facto, it's bigger, but, and I, I often ask the question, we have a, we have a, an advisory group that's, well, we have an advisory group for, for all three actually digital out of home audio and connected TV. And I was, I sort of put it to the connected TV group that, you know, is it that the U S are so much more advanced in what they're doing around connected TV and the, the sort of the, the, the room felt um not necessarily. The the ecosystem here is maturing very, very quickly. It's certainly as complicated. Yes, we don't have all the the component parts that the US have in terms of some of the cable providers, because it's not how we, we watch it here, but you know, it's a it's it's incredibly mature and you could kind of say the same for for audio, which I'd say is probably a year and a bit ahead of where connected TV is now. But uh, um, you know, money and investment, I guess, is one way of looking at it. Uh, what we certainly see around some of the groups is a, in you know a thriving community around all of these, genuinely me owners, platforms, partners that want to come together and find some solutions as to you know maybe why the investment isn't there, and that could be an awareness thing. Um, uh, it, it could be things uh, like measurement, it could be things like proving that it's effectiveness. It could just be trying to, you know, as you said at the start, how can I use data and insights from other places to kind of inform what I'm doing and not this thing end up being a silo that needs a kind of a sell of its own. So um, as to why um, investment is down in the UK versus, uh, versus, I'm not sure, but um, what I can certainly say is that is, is there's no shortage of focus in the UK, which is good.
0: On the attribution and measurement point, that's kind of the USP of digital marketing. But our report makes clear that it's still a challenge for marketers. It's still something that they're struggling with. Mm. Do you think that as more channels become addressable, there's there's a nervousness among marketers that it's just going to complicate things further
1: rather than making it more simple? Well, you're right. It's the, it's the promised land. It's the, um, as I once heard, referred to the gold at the end of the rainbow, as it were. You know, this is everything that the promise of addressability in digital um, uh, was going to be uh, we we talked to 80 advertisers at the end of must have been 2018 and the the question very simply was what's stopping you investing more in digital advertising and the resounding answer was measurement and not just uh, you know measurement more broadly as in i want to be able to Um, speak the same language about my out of home to my television to my digital because that would be incredibly useful to start to move pots of money around but even within digital um, it just didn't feel like it was either there was no uh, a lack of common language between different channels and different ways of doing it Um, and when you start to look at some of those vanity vanity metrics that you get for you know whether it is listens or uh, click-through rates, which we've been very open about not being the right metric, um, then I think you are going to struggle. But ultimately, if you look at stuff which is going to make a difference to your business and whether that's selling more things or getting more people to use your product uh, or your service, then, of course, there are things you can do around brand uplift and econometrics, uh, market mix, mix modeling, et cetera. But um, I, I don't know if 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 nervousness is the right word because I think – almost every advertiser will want to get to a place where they want to uh, want this solved and of course it's not advertisers problem to solve it's really us as an industry to kind of come together and uh, and figure out how we get the the attribution bit right and and how we measure things in a way that universally makes sense to everyone and of course with all of this it's it's about trying not to make something that's already quite complicated even more complicated because I feel like that puts up even more barriers to um, to advertisers getting involved and in, in helping us do something about it.
0: In terms of our responsibility as an industry um, there's a real appetite revealed by the report for more education around programmatic omnichannel um, and moving towards, towards that future state both in terms of choosing the right technologies and upskilling teams to use them. Um, this is particularly true, we found, for, for brands, for D2C brands who are very comfortable in the world of paid search, very comfortable with paid social, but are less sure of the state of play when it comes to digital advertising and programmatic. And, and that's clearly a role for, for tech providers and programmatic partners to be taking on. But from your perspective, how do you think we build those relationships? What questions do marketers need to be asking um, to make sure that they're getting good advice and what what do partners need to be doing better?
1: Fairly obvious answer for me, maybe, but I hope that's the reason why trade bodies like the IAB exist. Is you know what we try and do is to bring people together to do things they wouldn't be able to do on their own, and and, and this feels um, th- this feels like classic <laughs> IAB territory in that you know, everyone is going to have their own story because the technology is different, because it's built in a different way, or it's built in a different country. It's got each company's got different values. But I think what the IB can add is if you can get all of those people in a room and work out what the overall narrative that benefits everyone um, that that feels like that, that that's a role we should be doing. Whether that's around, you know, I've only got to look at our training modules. Uh, even now during lockdown, when they when they become a lot shorter, they're sort of more module based. But uh, I think after digital marketing essentials, which is the sort of the number one, you know, the second most popular is programmatic one hundred and one. And as a whole. Uh, everyone from the spectrum of our membership whether you're a media owner or a platform or an agency or an advertiser you know this is the one that um this is the knowledge that that everyone wants and i think you know, hopefully what what a good trade body should do is give a you know a balanced overall view it's it's neutral um we try desperately to not make things more complicated but try and make the really complicated things simple we sort of have a mantra, and and uh, uh, through what we do, you know, try and how would you explain it to your mum or dad or somebody who doesn't work in our industry? Try and really sort of break things down and make them very very easy, because you know lots of those things tend to be barriers as well. I think in terms of what what partners can be doing, I think I think it's about coming to the table and sharing the good stuff. I'm not quite convinced we do a good enough job of that in digital. We are under a lot of scrutiny because digital is so big, clearly now, um, and and rightly so. But I think we can do a better job of telling some of the good stories, so the success stories, whether it's case studies, people that are doing it well. um, And there's no shortage of those things. I think they kind of need to be unearthed. And perhaps the IAB, albeit as an organisation or uh, in an online space, can be a a repository for some of those really, really good stories. Because, you know, it's sort of the best way to learn or to mitigate any sort of risk is... If I'm a retailer and I can see three other retailers who have done something similar or learnt about it in this way, kind of the penny just drops so much, uh, uh, so much quicker. And if that's coming from a a neutral voice that represents everyone in this space, then, then, then perhaps that does a bit more as well.
0: And I guess on a final point, it's it's important to acknowledge that this report was conducted just as the scale of COVID nineteen was starting to become clear, and it's had a huge impact in the short term, obviously, but. How do you think it's going to change planning for the medium and long term, with regards to things like programmatic omnichannel strategies, which can't be developed overnight?
1: Mm. It's difficult to to make calls on this, isn't it? And and everything everyone I've been talking to comes to a view that in any time of crisis or uncertainty, you kind of do want to one or two things maybe three things if you're if you're brave uh, the first thing you might do is just stop everything so you just sort of stop the world around you you you, you cut everything back and you kind of do nothing which which is uh uh, sort of a default safety net maybe, or, or at best you just carry on doing what you're doing and nothing more. So all of your ambitions to test things and learn a bit more and do things differently might go onto ice for a little bit because you just sort of bunker down and you do what you know and that's that's a sort of a safety. Or you get into the, the, the sort of the space, the, the Peter Field thinking, which is, right, it's really important for us to invest in things like our brand at the moment and let's not default to just trying to, you know, short-term sell things. So you get in this very long-term mindset which I think some of the, the the best advertisers do um but it's you know it's it, it's it's tricky um Lara uh I wrote a great piece in Digiday this week which is looking at a bunch of advertisers and what they're doing and there's 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 not very much that links them all together I think everyone's got a, a slightly different approach I think the one thing that is for sure is that when we come out of the other side there will certainly be a a, a re-evaluation of of I guess what, what brands were doing before, what, how they behave during this sort of lockdown period. I think it's very, very unlikely, like with all walks of life, actually, that we kind of revert back exactly to what we'd done before. So, um, I, I think, I think if, if, if brands are brave at the moment and are sort of trying new things, um, that, that, that's kind of could, could pay off afterwards but some sort of re-evaluation I'm sure so I guess it's important that all the stuff you are considering to do had this not happened that you make sure you revisit it and you know make sure it kind of remains in that in that medium to long-term strategy as you say.
0: Thank you very much James and if you'd like to read the programmatic omnichannel promise building for the future state of advertising head to wearemiq.com where you can download a copy of the report. Now Trolls World Tour was released last month to the delight of kids, the relief of parents and also to a fair amount of controversy. To discuss that release and why it might have such large implications for entertainment advertisers, I'm joined by Rob Jones, our VP of Research and Insights. So let's talk about um, entertainment um, and particularly let's Let's discuss movie theatres and, and the way that uh, COVID-19 is changing the way that people are interacting with, with that kind of entertainment. Um, Rob, can you paint a picture of, of what the, the world was like pre-COVID for entertainment and, and movie theatres in particular?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked already about how people are stuck at home and as a result, watching more TV, watching more OTT. But a big part of that that we haven't really discussed so far is movies. Uh, Since March 15th, when a lot of the lockdown measures really started going into place and self-quarantine began, movie consumption globally has more than doubled since that time. Uh, And while the largest increases are after 8 p.m., uh, we're seeing a lot more people watching movies during the day. And if you think about the industries that are hardest hit by the pandemic and uh efforts to socially distance movie theaters at the top of that list and it's a bit of a hot take to say that movies that the movie industry was hurting uh coming into 2020 we just went through two years of back-to-back avengers movies where both of those movies i think combined they grossed almost five billion dollars which is amazing but it's important to remember that uh, while box office grosses have been high for a, for a few select movies, and we've seen some absolutely tremendous success out of what Disney's doing with the Marvel franchise, uh, on the whole, if you start looking at per capita ticket sales in the United States, in Europe, in the UK, in Canada, what you see is that uh, the number of tickets sold per person has actually been going down over the past twenty years. When you look at these box office grosses; a lot of that is driven by increasing costs for tickets, uh, changes in the number of seats per theatre, and generally getting more money out of a smaller group of theatre-goers. And so while we've seen these high grosses over the last few years, what we've also seen is a continued decline in the number of people actually going to movie theatres. So Trolls
0: World Tour was kind of a big deal. It's been the big story uh, in the entertainment world the last couple of months. Um, Can you explain the context behind that? Why is Trolls World Tour providing such conflict within the cinema world?
2: So yeah, Trolls World Tour, uh, it's the animated sequel to the Trolls film that came out a few years ago. And uh, basically, Universal decided to release it on release day, fully streaming through premium VOD platforms. It was a $20 rental for 24 hours. uh, And you could get it the day it released in theaters and stream it. And it wasn't a big deal until about Three weeks later, about two weeks ago, uh, when suddenly Universal uh, released streaming stats that showed that they had generated about uh, $100 million in revenue for the film through streaming, uh, which it makes it a, an unqualified success from a box office receipt standpoint and was really what caused people to stand up and take notice. And it in turn caused Universal to say, hey, well, this is pretty good. We should do this for more of our movies. Uh, and if you've been following along, that immediately caused AMC Theaters, uh, their CEO stood up and said, whoa, 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 this is not going to fly. Uh, if you do this, we're not going to show universal the- we're not going to show universal pictures in any of our theaters. And then uh, the Regal Cinemas group got involved, they said the same thing, and uh, there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks about uh, what this means for the industry where this is going to go, will this be a long term drawn out fight between these between theaters and movie studios, or is this going to be something where universal backs off relatively quickly uh... but
0: it remains quite big news though um is do you think that the uh the the, the the theaters themselves are they taking kind of a luddite position? are they trying to kind of stem the tide of modernity here is is it inevitable that that um movies are just going to be released for streaming immediately, given how, the, re- how it, the revenues are holding up?
2: Yeah, it's a really tough question. There's, like, a few different ways to attack this. I mean, the first is, I don't think theaters are ever going to go away completely. Uh, if you look at, in the U.S., there are still drive-in movie theaters in certain areas where you drive your car up and you watch the movie from, from your car. Uh, and those have actually become... Uh, a little bit more popular now as a result of coronavirus. Like those are starting to reopen because people are realizing, oh, watching a movie in my car is a safer proposition than going to a movie theater and sitting in a seat next to somebody. On the flip side of that, yeah, I don't think, you look right now, uh, when we were doing the research on this, the, the average cost of a movie ticket in the United States is $9. I was actually shocked by that because everywhere I've lived, $9 is an incredible bargain on a movie ticket. I'm usually paying at least 15 to $17. And I think for a lot of people, we've gotten to the point where the prices and the add-ons for things, all that adds up to an experience that when you factor in having to drive and find uh, a parking spot and not being in the comfort of your couch and the fact that people have sound bars and large TVs in their homes now, yeah, I think that there's a definite push toward uh, watching movies in the comfort of your home.
0: And what do you think the long-term implications for advertisers will be for from this move, this this seeming move towards streaming as the default?
2: Uh, it completely changes the game. So right now, one of the big challenges for advertising movies uh, and entertainment and theaters is that you don't really have, like, unless you're doing pre-sales for tickets online. Uh, for movie theaters, which you can do, you can drive that, and especially for really big releases, for things like for the Star Wars uh, and the and the uh, Marvel superhero movies, and all the stuff that's going to pack theaters and make it impossible to get a seat opening weekend that you have to go see, like pre pre sales for tickets is a big deal, and it's a great way for advertisers to measure success. But for people who don't want to buy their tickets in advance, for people who just want to figure out what they're seeing on a Saturday or Sunday, for things like the second weekend after release that's a much trickier prospect and you're trying to figure out, okay, well we know that only a certain percentage of our viewers are going to be, are going to go see this opening night and buy tickets in advance. So how do we connect the dots between somebody seeing the ad or the trailer and then actually going to the theater and you can do that through offline measurement, but that's challenging and it only works on a, on a number of people who have specific apps installed on their devices or you can, uh, Look at partnering with movie theaters or doing offline sales measurement through credit card purchases. There are a few different ways to do this, but they're expensive and they're slow and they're hard to optimize toward because you're typically not getting your you're, you're typically not getting enough data until well after the fact. Like somebody visits the theater, you don't find that out and get the measurement on it until a week later, and at that point, you've already missed your your release. What streaming allows you to do is you have these platforms where you can either integrate directly with the platform or build your own streaming platform and immediately tie the action of uh, seeing the ad to the digital action of ordering the movie, buying it through whatever account. Um, And that gives you a much more, because those are both digital signals with the right partnerships, with the right measurement in place, with the right platforms, you can immediately tie somebody saw the ad and then somebody watched that movie. And even if you don't have the purchase platform in place, with the right measurement on connected TV devices, you could potentially be looking out for was that content shown on a TV at all using automated content recognition to see it. So, what it allows advertisers to do is much more cleanly connect. How is my advertising driving viewing of this content? Well, what I what I want to know what I want to know from you is are drive-in theaters a real thing in the UK?
0: They absolutely not. No. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That's it for another episode of Insights Track. We hope you're well and staying safe and that you'll listen again next time.